Welcome back, people. It is episode 14 of season 3 of the Taxi Squad podcast. Vinny. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's at the Masters this week doing Vinny golf stuff. It's okay. It's okay. We're going solo. Solo episode. Back in the hood. Happy to be here. Ready to rock and roll. Regardless if our friend is out yucking it up, eating pimento cheese sandwiches, not having cell phones, claiming he's too hot out in the wild, even though it's Georgia in April. So we'll get through it without him. As everybody's listening, this is Chicago Mike coming back to you. Got a lot to unpack this lovely episode, and we're going to do our best to keep you entertained as we get through it. So as always, we got a strange and unusual and then we got an NCAA review of the tournament, the NBA breakdown of the play-in, which I'm pretty jacked to go into. We've got a little bit of XFL and NFL talk, and then we're going to go full-blown in to the review of opening day weekend, some heartwarming topics, and then not only that, the review of the pitch clock up to date and how that's been looking for all of us. But needless to say, let's get into a little of strange and unusual. So even though the man known as the great man Bino, the salt and the swat, the list goes on and on, right? Not the great Bambi, as Smalls once said, because come on, that wimpy deer, what are we doing here? But the reason I want to bring this up is that this man died almost 100 years ago, and he is still relevant to this day. So most recently in a baseball auction, which there's a lot of them across the U.S., the legend of the Bambino, 90 years after the fact, since he last stepped on a diamond, lives on. So one of his bats that he used at the polo grounds recently just sold for a price tag of $1.85 million. The prior record also belonged to Ruth, and it fetched a $1.68 million fee. Now, memorabilia in the sports world is huge. In particular, baseball is most known for it. I mean, between Sandy Koufax, Warren jerseys, games, cards, all these things, it's incredibly rare that these things get passed up on, whether that goes to a specific auction or a specific museum like the Louisville Slugger Museum or the MLB Hall of Fame. Now, isn't it amazing to you that Babe Ruth is still relevant to this day. The man played baseball during a time of tuberculosis, which is insane in itself. There was no dieting. There was no exercise. Can we just think about that? Like if Babe Ruth was put on the same regimen, maybe some steroids, like in the day of 2022, three, what year are we? I mean, could you believe that almost 90 years after the fact if Ruth was playing in modern-day baseball with all the consistent training, with everything that went into it? Now, granted, modern pitching has evolved greatly since that time without the big leg kicks and all that good stuff. But can we just think about that for three seconds? The man's diet was atrocious. If you if you ever have the, the time to look into Babe Ruth's diet, the man would drink about a fifth of whiskey with every meal, which is insane in itself. The man would consume... A about maybe a thousand calories alcohol in a given day. And people wanted to know why they died early and also that developed groundbreaking diseases. It's truly impressive. To to go into this now, and we think about the 
evolution of baseball over time from, you know, the 20s to to today, it is truly amazing how far the game has come. And to think that this man is still so relevant to this day is truly groundbreaking. And he should always be remembered as one of the greatest to ever do it. Now, as we look forward into the future, I want us to think about how potentially what type of players are going to be like that maybe 90 years from now. Is it going to be like Shohei, for example, who's arguably the most groundbreaking talent in baseball over over the past 20 years? I mean, you could arguably say that between the dual threat option of being a stud lights outside young pitcher and then not only that being one of the better power hitters in all of baseball today. Is that going to be something similar? Is Mike Trout going to be something along those lines? Do I believe that Barry Bonds... And the gentlemen in the steroid era do get a bad rap. I do. I think Barry Bonds is arguably the greatest hitter to ever play the game. So it's always going to be interesting to me. Will this market remain consistent in another 90 years from now? And that's a definite question that I'd like to relive on the podcast at another date and time. But definitely something I wanted to bring up to the listeners. Definitely something that I thought would be interesting. Okay, moving forward. Uh, The tournament. NCAA basketball tournament, as we all know, Chicago Mike is not a basketball guy, okay? Not a basketball guy. Usually will try and pay attention as much as he can during this tournament, but nine times out of ten, it will be something along the lines of paying attention as I need to for the pot. But this year I got a little bit into it during the weeks of, you know, St. Patrick's Day. You're out at bars. The games are around regardless. So it is fun to watch if you're out in the wild. I will say that. Bars get into the games. People are all in it for their own brackets or for their own gambling purposes. That could be good or bad. If you have problems, there's a number for that. Anyways, looking at the tournament, it was okay. I was very high on San Diego State. They took it all the way, which for me was amazing. I thought that was the pick of the century this year. You know, I didn't have them going all the way in the beginning of the bracket, but as we got about halfway through this, I didn't see anybody beating them in their rounds. Now, FAU was damn close. If anybody got a chance to watch that game, it was impressive how close it was to the bitter end. San Diego State put the ball in the hands of one of their better players, and he closed it out. It was truly impressive to watch that last five minutes because San Diego State really pulled themselves up to beat a FAU team that nobody thought for three seconds would have been there, right? So Lamont Butler just basically called his own number, created his own shot, and scored with less than a second left on the clock. It was a true buzzer beater in buzzer beater fashion. Now, if we look across the rest of the tournament, uh, we had Miami. And UConn. Vince and I claimed this on this show a little bit ago. But yeah, we didn't really see anybody touching UConn. They've just been acing and icing people with their epic defense and incredible ball movement the entire tournament. Now, with that, we had a San Diego State-UConn tournament, right? So if we look at that tournament... One could say, okay, we do have a definitive underdog. And then UConn, who's just absolutely pumping everybody. 
And I believe going into this tournament, you looked at it from a standpoint of like, yeah, chances are UConn is the favorite, which they were. They were the gambling favorite by a long shot. So that I don't think helped their cause as far as viewership. So what I'm ultimately getting at is that this tournament was the least watched NCAA tournament in recent history. Okay, so the viewership numbers were down at a record pace. So the game averaged 14.69 million viewers on CBS, according to the Associated Press. Now, there could be a collusion mark here. Definitely something to entertain because CBS recently came out and said they want the the Blue Blood teams in. They want all these, you know, large scale programs in this tournament to make it, quote, more interesting. But then again, I love the parody of the small guy making it to the top, similar to the David and Goliath theory. Although UConn has always been a tremendous program over the years, this hasn't happened for them in almost a decade. So to see that on the flip side was very interesting. As we do look at the viewership numbers, though, it came into the previous low of 15.9 million in 2018 when Villanova beat Michigan. Now, overall, do we look at the NCAA tournament and say, do we need a restructuring of the tournament? I think March Madness is truly one of the better things in sports in the March months when there isn't football on. If we want to count USFL or XFL, go right ahead. But it's really not the entertainment everybody's looking for at that time of year. There's always that low point between football and baseball where a lot of things are quiet, unless you're a big NBA guy, which many people are. Now, the tournament itself is always electric between the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, Final Four, and then, of course, the tournament style. And then with all the playing games, you do see a lot of teams rise up to the top, similar to a San Diego State or an FAU. Now, overall, why are these numbers down year over year? Not really sure. Can't really put a pin in it. Maybe the basketball viewership uh, year over year has gone down due to the fact that maybe people aren't interested in small schools the way certain fans would be. Definitely something to consider. And I would not be surprised that if in coming years you do see a restructuring as to how the NCAA tournament is in fact played A and B structured. Now, On the flip side of that, the women's tournament was absolutely electric. I've said this from the jump. I thought the women's tournament this year was actually a little bit more interesting than the men's just due to the fact that the parity with a fully undefeated team in South Carolina was truly something to watch. And then Caitlin Clark with Iowa doing the things that she does, most points scored by any college athlete in I think maybe five years. It's truly impressive to see the you know lack of coverage that these girls get and on this pod we try and break it down the best way we know how now the real story from that tournament was that of course Iowa does in fact knock off South Carolina in order to play LSU in the championship game of their tournament now LSU came to play and they won decisively now the you can't see me drama and saga that's going on between caitlin clark and an opposing lsu player is hysterical to me right now what people are trying to create saying how women 
can't talk trash or uh, bring it to you uh, in that sort of fashion where men are very open to talking trash and giving it back to each other and doing that and being, quote, feisty, similar to like a Pat Bev, similar to guys that are going to poke you and prod you. You don't see a lot of that personality come out in female sports, and I do think it's refreshing to see. And now they're trying to make it like a race thing, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. I think we always have to break it down to the fact that these are two teams and two women competing at a very high level and trash talking slash shit talking is a part of the game. And if we want to bring light to the fact that they're a different gender than men, fine, but they're still capable of talking shit with the best of them. If you've been married or had a significant other for any fact or any long period of time, you could know that same fact to be true. But overall, I thought both tournaments were incredibly entertaining this year, but definitely believe in the future. The female tournaments need far more coverage. Now, let's continue to keep this ball rolling as we get in to some NBA talk. And Vince isn't here this week, and this is truly disappointing because his Bulls, okay, are officially, okay, officially in the play-in tournament. You had to be a 10-seed Bulls. And somehow you figured it out. Now, still not very high on this team. Historically, have not been high on this team. If we look at the play-in tournament, the seven and eight seeds play each other. So that would technically be the Heat and the Hawks. And then the Bulls and the Raptors would play each other. Okay, if we're looking at nine and ten. And the breakdown of this is going to be interesting. The tournament starts, okay, the NBA play-in tournament starts on April 11th. So game one is going to be the seventh seed in the East and the eighth seed in the East, similar to that in the West as well. And the winner of the seventh seed advances to the NBA playoffs straight, straight out. Okay. So if we look at that game two, we have a similar setup. So there's a two game play in whoever wins. If it be the first game automatically in. Okay. Now, if we look at game three, we have the 9 and the 10 seed, which, in fact, would be the Raptors and the Bulls. Now, for Vince's beard, this is something we really have to break down. Because if we look at both teams' records right now, the Raptors clearly have an advantage. Okay, 40 wins, 39 losses, where the Bulls, 38 wins and 41 losses coming as a team that's under 500 and how in the hell they're even here is amazing to me considering the lineup they put out on the floor every night and the complete lack of defense they choose to play tonight the bulls if you're paying attention play the bucks and the Bucks are in this to win this. I do think they're going to try and make a statement. I don't think Giannis is going to get half the amount of time he would usually play, but I still do believe that the Bulls will fall to the Bucks. And if we check in on that score right now, we actually have a very close game. As we tie down the end of the first half, the Bulls are up one point with three minutes and 37 seconds left on the clock. Now, that could be something to pay attention to. Do the Bulls beat the Raptors in the play-in tournament? My books right now, I would say it's a 50-50 shot for Vince's beard. Now, when Vince does, in fact, have to shave his beard, he will be doing so with a wonderful product, people. I'm telling you, did you know that this product has materials on it that were made 
on the fucking spaceship. I'm just saying, it is truly impressive that a a full-blown spaceship could have the same products used in shaving. And that product would be none other than Henson's shaving. The Henson razor, it puts an end to shaving irritation and cuts while also making your skin feel comfortable and smooth. The razor's made with CNC machines to aerospace standards. That means it's made to very tight tolerances, meaning the combination of how securely it's held and how minimally the blade is exposed delivers a smooth and safe shave no other razor can offer. Um, we talked about this last week, obviously. We're back around again. I use this, so I get I get my hair cut, I get it lined up by the barber. And my biggest concern every time I'm done with it is like, hey, I'm not going to get a haircut for two weeks. My beard's going to get wild. I would use my razor with the multiple blades, and it would just... You know, it would just basically ruin my beard because I'm like, I can't get this line perfectly. This is perfect. It has unique head design. It has one blade in it. It's very thin, very precise, and it can just kind of get right into there. Um, it has as exit channels. So I know the biggest problem that everybody has is how do I clean my razor after it? And it's always a pain in the butt. This time they have these nice little spots at the bottom of it. It's a single blade. You can run water right through and the hair goes right down the drain clean to your point i've never had a razor that's easy to clean never to your point vince i mean i shaved before this wedding i went to last week right and i'm very particular about when i shave because i have very sensitive skin and usually there's certain parts of my face that'll break out or i'll get razor burn i don't get that with this razor at all and to your point i think with the technology that they use i mean we're talking aerospace engineering here we're talking materials that are used on the international space station I mean, Vince, I'm not breaking out anymore. And not only that, but the handle itself and the razors themselves are so light. I I don't know what we were doing before. Easy to pack. Easy to do everything. It is not like your normal razor. And the biggest kicker here, cost of ownership averages $88.20 every two years, which is $177 less than a normal cartridge razor. Better for the environment. Stop using plastic razors. Use this metal one. So go on the website, hensonshaving.com. Use the promo code TAXISQUAD at checkout and receive a 100-pack of blades free with the purchase of a razor. You got to put them both in your cart. So put the razor in your cart. Put the 100-pack of blades. When you're checking out TAXISQUAD, T-A-X-I-S-Q-U-A-D. And for most users, this amount of blades will last two to five years of shaving. So promo code taxi squad hensonshaving.com. All right, Vince. Well, thank you so much for, for giving us that lovely ad that you always do give us, even though you're not here this week, but sometimes you just got to streamline it. Now let's get in to some XFL chat. Shall we? Right. XFL chat. Gotta love some XFL chat. Now, if you paid attention to this last weekend, the defenders, DC defenders, have been arguably the best team in the XFL. They they have not lost a game. And on the flip side of that, the Guardians were the worst team in the XFL, have won zero games. Well, if I could tell you that Vince's Orlando Guardians pulled out a W and scored a shit ton of points, it's truly impressive to me. This team was bottom of the barrel, drama fest, 2.0. And now we look at this 
And are the DC Defenders who we thought they were? I'm not thinking so. I'm not thinking so. After this, it's on, listen, it's one loss to a pretty shitty team. Happens to the best of us. But if we break it down, the Guardians were the bottom of bottom in this. And it goes to show you that every team look, seemingly can compete with each other, which is very exciting. Now, I still think the DC Defenders and the Battlehawks are going to play for the North Division in the XFL. These are two teams that are very equally matched up. But you can't forget about Ben Denuch in Seattle doing big things with Josh Gordon as well. Now, as we look at the standings, things are looking up for the Battlehawks. Got a matchup this weekend. And let's get in to that matchup this weekend because I'm pretty jacked about it. You know, never been in this type of environment, right? If we do look at this weekend coming up, okay, we have a Battlehawk matchup with the Vipers. Not saying that they're any good. They are actually the dead last seeded team in all of the XFLs. As we do look at this, the Battlehawks have an opportunity now to come in and seal up the North. Now, D.C. and the flip side of that plays Seattle at Seattle, which is a big deal because both teams now, well, if we look at Seattle, they have two losses on the season. And they play D.C., who's just off of a pretty bad loss. One thing to pay attention to here, D.C. just got beat by a terribly, terribly bad team, even though they lost by a point, 37-36. Winning's winning. I do think the D.C. defenders come back with a full-blown comeback this year or this week of epic proportions. Now, do pay attention to the Taxi Squad TikTok and the Taxi Squad Insta for there will be some live coverage coming in from the XFL Battlehawk Stadium in St. Louis, which I'm actually pretty jacked for. Supposedly, they get after it in St. Louis, and I'm excited to bring it to it. Now, let's get into real talk. So, if anybody's been paying attention, NFL right now, never short of news. As we do look at the pre-draft talks right now, a lot of teams are talking about taking quarterbacks in the first round. One of those teams that has been brought up consistently now over the past week for numerous reasons is the New England Patriots. Now, do I believe all of this media-driven hype about the Patriots potentially trading for Lamar Jackson, giving up Mac Jones, all of that. I don't believe it for a second. I think a lot of it's just trying to create hype. Most NFL teams don't want to pay the price tag it would take to get now a mid-20s quarterback in who hasn't played a full season in almost two years. If we do look at this, though, Belichick may be trying to hold on a little too tight. And with that, I never thought I'd say these words, but is Bill Dunn in New England? Bill, over time now, has cemented himself as arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history. And you could argue that with some of the greats, right? If you look at the story of the two Bills, Parcells, if you look at the story of you know Jim Walsh, however, however it breaks down, 
I do believe Bill should have just re- retired when Brady left because if you see how connected those two were at the hit, how do you move past that? So you draft Mac Jones. Everybody knows the relationship of Saban and Belichick and how that all comes together. But does that truly matter in time? Quarterback is such a specific position. They hit the lottery almost 20 plus years ago with drafting Tom in, you know, the the last one of the last rounds in the NFL draft being the sixth round, 199th pick. Hit the lottery with Tom. And he came in for 20 years basically on that franchise and took them to six Super Bowls. Correction. More than six Super Bowls. Almost 10. One a total of six. So if we do view Bill in New England as the GOAT, is that reputation also tied to Tom? Which I do believe it is. And I believe when you think of Bill Belichick, you do think of Tom Brady. It's just hand in hand. The rumors coming out now of New England is that Bill Belichick and that franchise are looking to move off of Mac Jones. There have been trade rumors galore coming in saying that the New England Patriots are willing to move off of Mac Jones and open to offers for him. Now, if you do look at Mac Jones's number overall, his QBR isn't terrible, completes about 66% of his passes, which if you do look at the NFL as a whole, that is impressive, especially when he hasn't had any weapons on that offense. I mean, unless you want to consider Ramondre Stevenson as a weapon. You have aging tight ends. And I guess Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers would not be considered a one in any other offense but the Patriots. So if we do break that down, he has been put up against a proverbial wall. And then last year he had Matt Patricia calling plays as a defensive coordinator, as a offensive coordinator, which made no sense to most. Visibly upset in many games if you paid attention to any of the Patriots Close games, but then again, games where they had no business being in. Defense kept them in. Matthew Judon, arguably one of the best quarterbacks, quarterbacks, defensive ends in all of the NFL. Now, to break that down, the defense will always reign supreme in any Bill Rand franchise. But beyond that, the offense always lacks. They've had a true lack of drafting quarterbacks. They've had a true lack, of course, other than Tom Brady. Jimmy G, you could argue, but Jimmy G is a system-based quarterback and thrives in certain systems. Tom Brady hit the jackpot. Beyond that, haven't had success, and they tried to replace Brady for many years. Weren't successful at all. So you draft Mac Jones, you can't put any talent around him, and now you're trying to move off of him. Is the goal to bring in a Lamar Jackson? How that would look in a Bill Belichick-ran offense, not truly sure. Now Bill O'Brien's in again from Alabama. So the conjecture of hearing that they're trying to move off of Mac Jones when Mac Jones, offensive coordinator at Alabama, was in fact Bill O'Brien, that doesn't make any sense at all. But once again, is this media-driven hype, or is this real? Is there an actual shot that the Ravens move off of Lamar Jackson and ship him to the Patriots, which are also in the same division? I don't think so. 
I think Lamar Jackson's ultimately going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place, especially if the Ravens decide with their first round draft pick to draft a quarterback in the later rounds, either that or trade up to do so. Now, right now, I believe a couple different quarterbacks are incredibly overhyped. One, Will Levis. Guy didn't do much at Kentucky, had one pretty good season, has lost every close game he's ever been in, minus Florida. But then again, that game was a shit show in itself. Anthony Richardson, off the charts if we're talking about a legitimate athlete at the quarterback position. Not a true thrower of the football, has an incredible arm, but in theory, so did Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow could throw the ball 80 yards down the field. It was going to be probably a dead duck. Now, not saying Anthony Richardson is a comp to Tim Tebow. That's a terrible comp if we're going to look at it. He's more of the Cam Newton type, but we all do know from a physical standpoint, NFL quarterbacks need to be able to remain in the pocket, play the game from a consistent basis, standing upright and delivering into those tight windows. Pause. So if we do break that down, the two number one quarterbacks in this draft are going to be C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. No one's argued that. The argument about Bryce Young being too small, I still think he's one of the first two picks in the draft. Now, to me, where it gets interesting is the third pick in the draft being the Arizona Cardinals, and now the fourth pick in the draft being the Colts. We talked about this on the podcast last week. If the Colts were wise, I would go after Lamar Jackson. You have no reason not to. That team would thrive with weapons, a defense that has been established, an offensive line that has been established, hasn't had a quarterback that can make his own play, end quote, right? We did see a little bit of that with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, though, shits the bed notoriously if we're talking about looking at a mobile, unquote, quarterback. And after he tore his ACL, it's never the same. Back to the Patriots. The argument here, in my eyes, is not so much do the Patriots and Bill Belichick try and clamor on for any shred of hope that they still may have and going to try and make a big swing for Lamar Jackson, or if after this year, if Mac Jones doesn't work out, is this the end of Bill Belichick in New England? It's an interesting theory, and let's break this down. So Kraft has basically put him on notice after last season, stating that if we have another season like that, it's time to change the guard. I could see a scenario unfolding in 2023 where the New England Patriots are going to be the bottom of the barrel in their division, primarily the AFC, but in their division with Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets, with the Dolphins' newfound glory, with Mike McDaniels, and doing all the things that they're doing. The Bills can't perform in the playoffs, but they perform very well in the regular season. You are up against a pretty tough lineup now. As we do move forward, I believe if this is a down year for the Patriots, I do believe it's time where they do move off of Bill Belichick. And I think it would be one of the Saturdays in sports to see one of the best head coaches in all of football be replaced, not in his own time frame. Why I alluded to the fact that I wish Bill would have simply retired 
when Tom moved off of the Patriots and decided to go to Tampa. It would make so much better of a story for arguably one of the better head coaches to ever do this in history. A full-blown Hall of Famer, first ballot as a head coach to now be, in quote, fired or let go. To see that antithesis of this entire story come to that, in my eyes, is sad. If any true great has their timeline, it should be on their time. Similar to Tom and similar to the other head coaches in this sport. But then again, is it? You know, I guess the only guy you could consider that is Bill Walsh. Finished his time with the chart or Chargers. Finished his time with the 49ers. Brought them numerous championships with the West Coast offense and Joe Montana. And rode off in the sunset. I don't think Bill's going to get that opportunity. NFL draft three weeks away. we got a lot of draft coverage coming up, so be sure to pay attention to that. Now, MLB opening day review. you got to love it, right? I believe that baseball is back, and it's some of the best baseball I've had the opportunity to watch in a lot of years. The pace of the game has improved drastically. With the pitch clock, I believe now you create a scenario where baseball is far more palatable for people who don't have the attention spans or the interest in the sport that many haven't over a long time. And let's face it, if your idea and thought process is to attract a younger crowd, well, then this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. If we break it down to a standpoint of the MLB now converting this game into a pace-driven event where there is a pitch clock and batters have to be ready. Eye contact has to be made. There has to be some sort of standard. Once you step in the box and once you step on that mound in 60 feet, 6 inches, we are here to move. Not scratch our balls, not scratch our ass, not wiggle our ass three times and adjust our you know batting gloves 87 times. No. Let's get in. Let's move. And it's not saying that the pitch clock itself is egregious. It's 30 seconds. There's more than enough time to get it it moving. Right? That 30 seconds goes by fast. And to that point, we have seen a large amount of pitch clock violations so far as the MLB season has started. So the umpires are enforcing it. Right? The pitch clock in itself keeps moving. The game itself is moving faster. It is proven. And there has been some violations so far. And let's kind of get into that, which it is funny to me. Juan Sono managed to cram in a timeout and a clock violation Sunday on the same pitch, which, of course, wasn't actually thrown. To me, is absolutely hysterical. And it makes me break down now, is this pitch clock affecting hitters more so than is it affecting pitchers, right? Because hitting is a very routine Base processed and in baseball there's a ton of superstitions and a lot of that comes from just the game and lore itself i'd say out of any sport period baseball has the most superstitions the meal you eat before the game how many times you tap the plate that feeling of comfort guys receive from doing small routine based ideas 
in quote, because that's what makes sense in their mind and what deems them to be successful is always interests me so far. So to see guys like Manny Machado getting called out, getting tossed out of games for uh, opposing local umpires for just enforcing rules because they're not necessarily paying attention to me is funny. If we break down a lot of these top tens that have been happening, it has been primarily hitters. Now, Mets pitcher, former Guardians pitcher, a.k.a. Indians pitcher, Carla Carrasco, actually topped that, though, by committing a violation before his first pitch of the actual season against the Brewers, which to me is absolutely hysterical. So it goes to show you guys aren't paying attention to this on a game-in and game-out basis, and I love to see the fact that now the game has some sort of standard in which we have to move, okay? Now, the related misdemeanors that we've all seen, right? Alex Manoa, we look at guys like Carrasco, we look at guys like Tim Anderson today who actually got thrown out of the game for uh arguing a call, and then not only that, but a pitch clock violation as well. And then if we also look at the Manny Machados, Juan Soto's getting popped, it is truly interesting that this now is deciding games. And Rafael Devers had basically the biggest blunt on opening day in a very close game against the Orioles, who, by the way, may be a squad this year in the AL East. Don't sleep on the Baltimore Orioles this season. They have an abundance of young talent, and this Adley Ruckman, or however the hell you pronounce his name, may be a guy moving forward. I think he will be an all-star, and after the season, a potential perennial all-star. And moving forward, to see how this is affecting games, for example, if we bring up this game Boston-Baltimore, which finished to be a 10-9 game, right? Rafael Devers in a situation opening day at Fenway, right? Took too much time in the box, didn't have his eyes on the pitcher. It was a 3-2 count. Devers struck out because he wasn't prepared and in the box. So as you could see, this is now affecting where in one-out situations, runners on base, close game. If your head isn't literally in the game and you're doing your small routine and it takes a little too much time and your eyes aren't in the ump's opinion on the pitcher and you're ready to go, well, that could mean the matter of a strike, which could end in at bat and create a out, create a different count for you, which always means something today in professional pitching. And then not only that, but the difference between hitting with a runner on base with one outs to two outs is an entirely different approach. So in my opinion right now, where the game is headed, incredibly excited for it. I'm incredibly excited to see how this morphs over time. Do you guys adjust? Is there going to be added frustration year over year with this thought process? When the playoffs hit, is there going to be a different consideration for how the MLB looks at this? All things to keep into mind as we're watching baseball in 2023, because it is unlike any form of baseball we have seen over the past decade. The game has changed, but I believe this will be one of the largest changes to the game in many years to come. Now, let's have a small opening day review. Let's talk about, right now, my Chicago White Sox and the podcast Kind of leans a certain way. Not going to say that we're not, but we are. Right now, the Sox are looking 
I guess, more engaged than prior years under the Tony La Russa regime. We're three and three in the division. Not terrible. We're sitting third. And after today's win, I feel a little bit different. The White Sox played the second game of their opening series at home and beat a fairly decent Giants team decisively without Tim Anderson, mind you. And I wanted to kind of get into this. So Tim Anderson got ejected from the game today. Um, He has notably been a guy who's outspoken. If you look at the Josh Donaldson drama that happened last year with the Yankees and the White Sox, someone who comes out and speaks his mind usually all the time. Uh, There was some drama brewing between him and the home plate umpire, basically all game just due to bad calls and then getting popped for a pitch clock violation. And he lost his mind. If you have the uh, time to look into the Tim Anderson blow up today, uh, definitely recommend looking into it because it was honestly funny to watch. And not only that, but the Sox seem to move on just fine without him. And it kind of makes you think of a guy coming up in a contract year, and I know he's a AL Silver Slugger Award winner year over year, but if we looked how we look today, granted, you know, we weren't up against the best pitching in the world, but Luis Robert absolutely was stroking today. Uh, four, uh, two for three, right? Absolutely crushing the baseball and hitting the ball in the gaps and using those legs to the best of his ability. Andrew Benatendi, right? Four at-bats, two hits, also looking like potentially a solid signing. Yohan Moncada consistently seems to rake hitting 400 so far on the season. Andrew Vaughn looking a lot better than he has in previous seasons. Granted, he's not playing a position where he literally feels like he's in left field because he's not a left fielder. He's a traditional first baseman, and now he gets the opportunity to truly play that. As we do look at this game, we should definitely call out Elvis Andrews, who hit his 2,000th hit of his career today in a White Sox uniform. You do love to see it. Now, what I am most excited about being a White Sox fan and being a fan of that team on this podcast, is Oscar Colas. Oscar Colas looks to be our right fielder of the future, which has been a large gap for us for many years. It has been shown time over time, and we discuss it on this podcast regularly, that Eloy Jimenez is not that guy. And to add insult to injury, Eloy Jimenez now is going on the IR for the next two to four weeks with another hamstring injury. And... I look back at the trade with the Cubs, which we traded Quintana basically straight up for Eloy Jimenez. And looking back at that, one could argue we may have gotten fleeced that. I don't believe Eloy Jimenez is a generational talent. I don't believe Eloy Jimenez is a guy who's going to be known as one of the best power hitters of his generation 10, even five years from now. I think ultimately what you will look back at Eloy Jimenez is you will look at a inconsistent power hitter who couldn't stay healthy. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. I do have hope for this White Sox team, though. You do see how it may come together this season in a weaker division, being the AL Central and basically only having to compete with the Minnesota Twins and Cleveland Guardians, primarily the Cleveland Guardians. I believe Dylan Cease is a perennial Cy Young winner. If you look at both of his starts over the past two weeks now, consistency is key. 
everything is working for him seemingly right now. And I believe he could be a guy where you look at it years from now. Granted, Cease was in that trade for Eloy, but that may just be the shining piece to that trade. Time will tell. As much as Chicago Mike is not necessarily a fan of him, we do have to call him out and his battle with cancer that he has seemingly won up to this stage of the game. Liam Hendricks has done his final round of chemo and will be back on the south side sooner rather than later. Still indecisive about it. Hope he comes back as the best version of himself. And as always, we always hope to come back week after week as the best version of ourselves on the Taxi Squad podcast. Can't thank all of our listeners enough for tuning in every week. We've seen a consistent growth in the podcast following year over year, and the both of us are incredibly grateful for the time that you guys give us out of your daily uh, just functions, and we hope that we can continue to be this voice for you year after year. But as always, we wouldn't end the Taxi Squad podcast episode without saying you got to follow it, and Vince would say follow. And then not only that, but you have to share it, share it. And then not only that, but you got to rate it, right? Rate it. So as you rate it and then you follow it, I want you to think about somebody that's special in your life. Maybe like your grandfather, right? He's a good man. He helped bring you into the world. Without him, there's no you. So if you think about it, you should share the podcast with your grandfather. And chances are there's a love of sports there somewhere that probably started with him, right? Whether you're a little kid, you're playing this whole thing, you're playing sports, grandpa's there, something you shared together, right? These are the type of memories that the Taxi Squad podcast likes to bring up every now and again. So if you're not a selfish son of a gun, you should share the pod with your grandfather. He knows all about radio shows nine times out of ten. So go share with your grandfather. And we'll see you next week. Peace.